today as we continue our series in Acts. And uh, in Acts uh, 3, we're going to do the whole chapter if you want to turn there. And we're going to stay primarily there. And Acts 3 begins with a remarkable healing. And uh, in this, we're going to see that proclaiming Christ as the long-awaited Savior is our joy and our main aim. But what do we do with this healing? What are we supposed to think about healing? I have prayed thousands, I, I, I don't want to be exaggerative, thousands minimum uh, prayers on, uh, uh, for people for healing. I have prayed fervently through the night for loved ones for healing. I have fasted and prayed for healing for my loved ones, for my church, for people in my church. I have sat bedside in a hospital and kept watch praying that God would heal. Um, I have never seen anything like what we're about to read in chapter 3. And I've been a Christian for a long time. I believe that God continues to heal, but this healing uh, serves in Acts chapter 3 to highlight what it is that God continues to do in the church. And we'll ask, answer some questions about healing also. I don't... I have not ceased praying for healing, and nor will I. I believe that God heals, and I believe that God continues to heal. I want to use Johnny Erickson Tata as an example or an illustration throughout this sermon. If you know the story of Johnny Erickson Tata, she was 17 years old. Uh, it was over 56 years ago, I think, 57 years ago, that she dove into a pool at 17 and, uh, and fractured her vertebrae and became a quadriplegic. And shortly after that, uh, from her own words, after she was released from the hospital in Maryland, she attended a healing crusade at the Hilton in Washington, D.C. And from her own words, she says that she was placed in a wheelchair section with others, and her excitement grew as the, uh, the organ music began and the healing, uh, the person who came out to do the healing came out on stage, and uh, soon it would be her turn. And she felt as though she was at the pool of Bethesda calling out to the Lord, Jesus, come over here in the wheelchair section and heal us too. Well, the crusade finished and they never got to the wheelchair section. The ushers returned to escort them out and her and her sister found themselves in a long line of wheelchairs uh, waiting for their turn for an elevator uh, to leave. Disappointment was written on everyone's faces and... Her heart churned. What now? Why didn't God heal me? Over time, resentment and a complaining spirit took root in my heart. Christ the healer seemed so far away. I became sullen and withdrawn. Was she wrong? Did she miss something? What is God doing today? And what can we expect in the face of illness? I mean, we just sang songs. God, you are my healer. You heal all my diseases. Did you mean that? And how did you mean it? This healing that we're going to see is, that, is going to serve as an introduction to another sermon and more people coming to Christ. But it's on the heels of what was written in chapter 2 and we studied last time. In verse 50, 43 of chapter 2, it says, Awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So at this time, Luke is looking back, saying, In this season, at this time, God is working powerfully through the apostles, and they have this ability to heal but Luke is already looking back as this was something that happened 30 years earlier. And when Paul prays for the thorn in his flesh to be taken away, God says no. Not that healings have ceased or ceased to not, right now, 
But how are we to think about this healing? Well, as we go through this, the author of Acts' main concern is not healing. The author of Acts' main concern is to show what Peter's main concern was. And that is the proclaiming Christ as the long-awaited Savior. But that's the main aim of chapter 3. Don't miss that as we read about this healing and have a discussion about healing as well. My first point is that God heals through people. Look with me in the first 10 verses of chapter 3. It says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a lame man from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John go to the, into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple and with, entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Wow. Anybody want to see that happen? Anybody have somebody in their life they'd like that to happen for? I have numerous people that I would love and pray for that to happen for. Can you imagine church where we could offer such a service? What would that be like? I mean, would people just line up, heal me next, heal me next? I mean, at, at the temple, we are going to see in the rest of chapter 3 the response of some, but in chapter 4, we're going to see the response of others. And it wasn't very fun. It was closer to persecution. You see, when Peter and John perform this miracle by the power of God, it is at a time when Israel has rejected Jesus and they're standing on the temple proclaiming Jesus. Jesus healed. What did they do to Jesus? This isn't fun and happy, actually. This is a little scary for Peter and John. It's not what you might imagine. at first. I mean, you might imagine that everybody would say, Peter and John are obviously servants of God. Let's follow their God. Well, that wasn't the response of most. Peter and John go to the temple to pray regularly. That's what it says in verse 1. Now, Peter and John were going to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, about three in the afternoon when the sacrifices are being given. They don't come to give sacrifices because Jesus is already their final sacrifice. But they go there as an act of piety, and they go there to pray, and we know from chapter 2 they go there and gather with other Christians and teach and share and talk about Jesus in a public forum, in the public forum where Jesus was rejected just months earlier. They go up to the temple and pray reg regularly. A lame beggar at the temple gate. Now we find out that this lame beggar has been there daily. He's laid there daily at the gate. And Peter and John have been going to the temple regularly. Which means they've walked by him and not healed him before. They've walked by a lame person and not healed him. So it, it can't be assumed that God will heal everyone that he finds in the way of a Christian who is praying in Jesus' name. 
We also learn from chapter 4, verse 22, that this crippled man was over 40. He couldn't walk. He'd been lame from birth, which means his legs are atrophied. I know some people that are lame, that can't walk. And the legs and the muscles deteriorate. The joints deteriorate. You don't go 40 years without being able to jump and jump. You don't have the muscle tone. You don't have the bone structure for it. You don't have the strength for it. And here is this man. This is a remarkable miracle in a remarkable place. Seeing Peter and John go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. Not everybody could be at the temple and and ask for alms. He was there as one who has been chosen, but make no mistake, in the first century, people who were asking for alms were lesser people. They were not invited into the temple by the law. But they were also looked down upon, and it would be considered, did they sin or did their parents sin? But clearly, sin is what led to this difficulty that they're going through. In the first century, people looked through the lens that sin preceded illness. And illness was a response to sin. And there is some truth to that. God does use illness to discipline and to judge. I'm not saying that that isn't partly true, but Jesus speaks to that when the man who is born blind is given sight. Neither him nor his parents sinned, but so that the glory of God would be put on display is why this man was born blind. The glory of God put on display in illness. Well, here's this man asking for alms and Peter says, I I don't have, he says, ask him to fix his eyes on us. Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. I picture that verse from my experience in Chicago. I spent a lot of time working in Chicago, and I went to school in Chicago. And I spent a lot of time with homeless people. And I think there is a special kind of loneliness when you are surrounded by people and not seen. When you are speaking in a group of people, and no one listens. I see homeless people mumbling. I see them come into a restaurant, and no one, everybody avoids looking at them. I've done it. I've driven by somebody who's at the side of the road, ready to beg, and when I decide I'm not going to give, what do I do? I look away. Because if you look at them, you're inviting them to come talk, and then I have to say it. I'm not going to give you anything today. But I think there is a special kind of loneliness that's reserved for the ill, for the suffering, for the struggling, as people pass them by and choose not to enter into their suffering. So it's interesting that Peter says, fix your attention on me. And as he fixes his attention on them, he sees them, And Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. How many people have quoted this in the hopes that it would bring healing? How many thousands of people have I prayed for? And I'm not going to tell you my sob stories because we all have them. But I have some times where I was so broken and just wanted God to fix it. And I have never seen anybody do what happened here. There's been healing. But not like I imagined. Peter took him by the right hand and raised him up, verse 7, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. He gets up on his feet and Then what does he do? And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them. How many 40-year-olds leap up? I mean, he's got supernatural juice running through his veins, and he can't stop praising God. 
I've been healed. He doesn't care who hears it. Oh, this is dangerous. He's moving about the Temple Mount, declaring that he's been healed in the name of Jesus, the one that they just crucified. Walking and leaping and praising God, and all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Doesn't say they were filled with faith. But everybody's alarmed, filled with awe, amazed. It's a cool moment. Who doesn't want to be here for this moment? Well, maybe by chapter 4, some of us will sit down and say, maybe not. You mean this might cost me my life? But at this moment, God has chosen to heal this man through Peter and John. And there is this great privilege that God heals through his people. And Mark, that I did not say God healed through his people, I think God still heals through our prayers. I think he still moves mightily among his people, and God is healing all of our infirmities. God made our bodies. I I love C.S. Lewis's version of miracles, that miracles are happening in us all the time, and we don't even recognize it. God has made our bodies to heal. And we call it normal, Because doctors have categorized, maybe it'll work this way, and and we battle germs this way, and we battle cancer that way, and God continues to heal people, and some, he doesn't. Why did God heal here? Why is God healing regularly in the first century in these first few years of the church? Why is he doing it miraculously like this? And maybe, why don't we see it like this as often as we'd like? And what are we to make of it? It's enough for me to say at this point that God heals through his people. And there is this great privilege to be on assignment with God presenting Christ. And I believe that he is as powerful as he has ever been. And I believe he continues to heal. And I believe that I will not retreat from prayer for healing. I am going to continue my prayers for healing. And I will report, if the Lord allows me, anytime I see someone jump up who has been lame for 40 years, I'll come back right here and I'll tell you. This is what God did. God heals through his people. And there's a side thing that I want you to see here as we're proclaiming Christ as the long-awaited Savior. There is a handoff that's been done from Jesus to his apostles in the church. And that handoff is, is the work that Jesus was doing building his kingdom, he wants us to do. And when we pray for healing for our friends and for family, what we are ultimately praying for is what Jesus' ultimate aim was, was healing from sin. And that promise is sure, and I've seen that done hundreds of times, where God has healed people from their sin. And I've been able to baptize, and I've been able to lead people in prayers, and I am, it's exciting God heals through his people. Second, God convinces through his people. Verses 11 to 16. Peter begins a sermon in that same temple on that same day. Verse 11. While he clung to Peter, all the people utterly astounded ran together to him in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? And Why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety we made him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. 
But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses and his name by, and his name, by faith in his name uh, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Peter begins this sermon. He moves from that gate onto the Temple Mount to go to where the Christians gather. We know that from chapter 2, that they gather together in Solomon's portico off to the side. And as they gather there, they teach about Jesus openly. They express their views. They break bread together. They have communion together. They have fellowship together right there on the Temple Mount. Dangerous stuff. And to add to it, while Peter and John are making their way to Solomon's portico from this gate, this man is leaping next to them and clinging to Peter and John. And Peter and John welcome it. And the Jewish people come to find out what all of this means. And we don't know how many are here this time. But Peter, instead of addressing the Christians, probably what he had planned to do, he turns and he addresses those who are seeking, who want to know what happened with this man who was lame and is now dancing around, making a scene. So at Solomon's portico, off to the side, if you remember pictures from the, from the temple, it's where those pillars are and there's a covering so people would gather in the, in the edges of the Temple Mount and they would hear the Christians are gathered. And all of a sudden, a bunch of Jewish people get around them. I imagine Peter needs to speak up as he addresses the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we made him walk? Peter is saying, I didn't heal him. It wasn't by my power, and it wasn't by my piety. That's interesting. Because there are times in my life, well, there are times I've been confronted, if not tempted, to believe that somehow I had missed the formula that would bring healing. Maybe if I would have prayed in Jesus' name or fasted longer, Jesus would have healed Maybe if I would have had more faith, Jesus would have healed. And I have a list of people that crushed me when he didn't heal them. Johnny Erickson Tata uh, was not healed in her lifetime from being a paraplegic. And in 2010, she was diagnosed with stage 3 breast cancer. And after months of chemotherapy and cancer-suppressing drugs, she was declared cancer-free and declared God her healer. She went to the doctors. She got the meds. She prayed. And knowing Johnny Erickson Tata and how popular she is, the world prayed with her. God, heal her. If not from being a paraplegic, heal her of this cancer. And she was declared cancer-free. Only to have a more aggressive form of that same cancer reoccur in late 2018. I have known both sides of the coin, quoting Johnny Erickson Tata, what it's like to be cured and what it's like when healing doesn't come. The reason I bring that up is because she was asked for an interview in 2018 by someone who was suggesting that um, she had missed it. She should no longer be a paraplegic and she should no longer be struggling with cancer. She had prayed wrong. Her faith wasn't strong enough. And she was called out on television for her lack of faith. This is what he, she, he wrote, this is what she wrote. 
he inferred that I had not prayed enough. Then he inasmuch cross-examined my character as if to say that there was some unconfessed sin that might be the reason I was still in my wheelchair. No way. I stood firm on Ephesians chapter 1 and other scriptures that promise that God works everything in accordance with his plan. And that often, actually most often, his plan allows for suffering to continue for reasons that we often cannot understand. But are always wise and specific and good. God's plans are always wise and specific and good. The TV host did not seem impressed. He listened until the interview drew to a close, and then he turned to address the small studio audience as well as the camera, which was a window to how many people she didn't know. He explained to his viewers that it is obvious that I had not been healed, but they, the viewers, could be healed with confession of sin and enough faith to believe. They could know what I had not known, nodding toward me. The people in the television audience who obeyed this person's magic formula could be healed. Before I could jump in, the cameras turned to another segment on the studio stage, and she never had a chance to respond. What are we to make of that? Is Johnny Erickson taught of a sinner? Absolutely. But I am so sad that somebody suggested that healing can be called on like a vending machine. It can't. Paul asked for it three times and God said no. Every one of the apostles died. Every one of them suffered. If there was ever a time for healing, it was Jesus on the cross. And I imagine that Mary stood at his feet and prayed, God, don't let this pain continue but it was God's will that the pain would continue for a greater good. Peter admits that this was not accomplished by anything that he had done. It was not by his power and it was not by his piety. It was not a matter of how much he prayed. It was not a matter of how much he Fasted. It was not a matter of what a good guy he was or how much Jesus liked him more than the other apostles. God healed by God's power and God's plan dramatically. And God is still healing today dramatically. But we should be careful before we join Jesus in the garden and tell him, he can get out from under this pain if he just have enough faith. That's kind of a dangerous thing to say. When God's good plan was accomplished through suffering and resurrection. He goes on in verse 13, on the Temple Mount, tying to the God of the Old Testament, the God of the Hebrews, the God of the Jews, and in this declaring that this is the same God that you've always worshipped, that I was raised to worship, this is Yahweh. In verse 13, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified His servant Jesus. This God who has shown Himself and spoken has been speaking with absolute intentionality towards the cross and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ as the ultimate cure for humanity, the ultimate healing. And he's saying to them that, in one hand, that the God that we serve, Jesus Christ, was planned for from the beginning and promised from the beginning through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, but also that if you're not following Jesus, you are no longer following the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He chose to glorify his servant Jesus. That phrasing, glorify the servant Jesus, clearly refers to Isaiah 52 and 53, ultimately, where Jesus, where the Messiah is called the suffering servant that will be glorified. And what is the story of that suffering servant? It's 
a horrible story where ultimately in chapter 53, God pours out his wrath on his son, on the servant, and then glorifies that servant. This wouldn't have been lost on the Israelites who were listening. The suffering servant promised in Isaiah, the one you just crucified, was according to God's plan. Whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. All right, tough sermon. Right? By the way, what just happened a couple of months ago, you killed the author of life. You killed the suffering servant. God's hand worked through your sin. And you failed. I mean, Peter is missing a golden opportunity to take advantage of a healing where he can get a lot of people in the church. But don't you know that no one enters into the church through without forgiveness of sins, which requires repentance. And he is showing them, he's trying to convince them that they missed it the first time. Don't miss it the second time. Jesus was healing, and he was doing it pointing to the cross. He was doing it as an example to show the world, I came here to save. Not just to save from one illness, but to save for eternity. did a little comparison of the difference between what God did in this passage and what people did. In verse 13, God glorified his servant Jesus. In verse 15, God raised Jesus from the dead. In verse 18, God fulfills his promises in the death of Jesus the Messiah. In verse 20, he sent times of refreshing. In verse 20, God sent the Messiah. In verse 22, God raised up a prophet like Moses. In verse 25, we'll see that God made a covenant with ancestors. God will bless the families of the earth through that covenant, verse 25. God raised Jesus, verse 26. God sent Jesus to the people Israel, verse 26. God is sending the message again. He is still reaching out to the people who crucified his son. Come and be saved. This man was healed with the purpose of offering salvation to a hostile people. It wasn't so that Peter could show how powerful he was. Quite the opposite. Peter is saying, not my power at all, and not my piety at all. This is what God does. What did people do? They delivered over Jesus. They denied him before Pilate. At the potential release, they asked for a murderer instead of the holy righteous one, and they killed the author of life. Real feel-good sermon. But Peter's job is to convince the people that they can be saved. Look in verse 16. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect help in the presence of you all. It is faith that leads to this man's healing. But that's not the end of the sermon. This is a point that he's making that I'm about to invite you again to place your trust in the one that you crucified. I'm about to invite you all again. Peter could have said, go get your sick people and bring them here and we'll heal them all. Peter says, I don't have the power God has the power. God's the one who picked who would be healed. He didn't owe me this. Remember, Peter's the one who denied Jesus three times. His example is unlikely character to be used by God. And here is God convincing through Peter. 
What an unbelievable call we have to pray for people's healing and to convince people that Jesus is Lord. And God still chooses to use his people to turn them to faith. And in verse 16, he begins to convict them that they picked the wrong side, to convict them that they didn't understand who Jesus was, to convict them that God still wants them and wants to heal them ultimately. God heals through his people, God convinces through his people, and God convicts through his people. Look at verses 17 through 26. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out that time of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers, and you shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And that shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days, You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, In your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Peter doesn't spend a lot of time on healing here. Well, actually he does. He doesn't spend a whole lot of time on temporal healing. He spends it all on eternal healing. That's how Peter interprets that healing that this is a springboard for me to exalt our Savior and to convict some so that they might turn and be saved. Peter throws them a bone in verse 17, and now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. What do I mean he threw them a bone? They sinned. They falsely accused. They were stirred up into a frenzy. They have something to repent for. But at some level, they had not come to understand that this was the Savior, that this was the Messiah, that this was the Son of God, the author of life. Even Jesus declared from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It doesn't mean that their insults, their spitting, their whipping, their beating, their disdain, was anything short of a sin, it means that they didn't understand the gravity of what's happening. And now, they have no excuse. They are hearing the gravity of what happened at the cross. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Thinking back to Isaiah 53, this is the suffering servant. This is what he promised. He promised that the Messiah would come and suffer. In verse 19, he convicts them, Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out. You may not have understood completely what you were doing, but I am here to tell you today that unless you repent and turn, you will not be saved. And this is the big issue of the day on the temple. The big issue is not that somebody's jumping around who will get sick and die again. The big issue is that everyone will stand before Jesus one day. Everyone will give an account. Everyone will be judged. And the only way to be forgiven is if you understand that the Messiah died for your sins. Repent! The point of this healing is not, let's figure out how to get lots of people healed. 
in the short term. The point of this healing is how do we get people saved? What have we gained if we, somebody buys five or six years and they lose their soul? What if we give them 50 years and they lose their soul? Is that a fair trade? So convinced was Peter that Jesus was the Savior. He was not interested in talking about people being healed temporally. He was interested in talking about the healing that lasts for eternity. Repent and turn again that your sins may be blotted out that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that He may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. Did Paul, did Peter think or any of the apostles think that they weren't going to suffer, that God was going to save them somehow from that suffering, that He was going to release them and heal them from everything that would happen? Quite the opposite. Jesus promised them that they would suffer and that by being followers of Jesus, their suffering would go up, not down. In verse 21, it says, Heaven must receive, speaking of Jesus, until the time of restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Jesus is in heaven. Our ultimate healing is not happening until he returns. And when he returns, everything will be made right. We will be healed. No more suffering. My nephew will be able to talk. For the first time. Alex will jump and shout for joy. And he'll be able to use words in his worship, not just dancing, which is pretty cool. Praise God. Moses said, the Lord will raise him up for you, a prophet like me from your brothers, and you shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. He goes back to Moses in Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 20, speaking of a prophet that will come after Moses. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. There's going to be a prophet that's coming, and if you don't listen to him, you will no longer be of the people of God. Peter's saying this on the Temple Mount to people who are in power and have the power to kill Peter. You rejected the one who Moses promised you if you reject him, you are no longer in the people of God. This is a dangerous sermon. And all the prophets have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, Genesis 12, verse 3, and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. It's through Jesus that salvation is going to extend to all of us. And this offer is going to be made. There is something universal and eternal that God is doing in this moment that he's healing one guy who's been lame for 40 years. He is declaring on the Temple Mount that Jesus who you crucified, he was, is, and always will be God's plan for salvation and forgiveness of sins. Reject him at your peril. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. God raised up Jesus, his servant, to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. That you would repent and trust Jesus. You know, God could heal us all like this. I'm convinced God is healing us all like this, all the time. 
I think God is protecting us. I think God is providing for us. God sustains us. We live under his mercy and grace and by his power. Without his breath daily, we will not continue to live. I believe that is a general act of grace from God. And what do I think about healing? I will never stop praying for God to act and heal. I am more convinced that he wants me to pray for healing. I've told you what he's done in the past. I have not told you what he's done in the future. And in the past, there are times that we have prayed and God has healed. But I am not those of one of those who thinks faith means don't go to a doctor and don't take your medicine. I believe that God has given us doctors and wisdom and medicine for our good. And that's part of his healing plan for us. It is the lack of faith that gets help and wisdom. Wow. I pray for the healer, the one who heals all our infirmities. That's the promise from Psalm 103. Psalm 103.3 says, He who forgives all your iniquity and heals all your diseases. Is that hyperbole? Does God really heal all of our diseases? Both now and then, absolutely. He will heal us all every one of us who call upon the name of the Lord and are saved. And I believe that God is healing people. And when I go bedside with someone that I care about and I come to the hospital and visit you and I come before the surgery, I am praying for healing and wisdom for the doctors. And I'm not going to stop. And I'm laying on hands. We're told in James chapter 5 to call for the elders and, and anoint with oil and lay hands. Well, we've done that. done that with some of you here. And I've not seen anybody leap yet. Yet, that God can do that anytime he wants because it's God who does it and it's not related to our piety or power. It is God who does it. Yet, because I have a promise from God that he will do it for all of us one day. I want to read with Johnny Erickson Tata how she found her healing. This is back describing what happened when she first became a paraplegic. And she was sullen and withdrawn filled with resentment and a complaining spirit by her own words. Finally, one night in desperation, I cried out to the Lord, Oh God, I can't live this way. Please, if I'm not going to die, show me how to live. It was a simple plea, but at least my heart was turning Godward rather than inward. And I felt a glimmer of hope. From then on, instead of spending my days sulking, I asked Jay, her sister, to help me get up in the morning and push me to the living room where my Bible sat on a music stand, and with a rubber-tipped dowel in my mouth, I flipped through the pages. Of the Bible, trying to make sense of it all. God was answering that simple, heartfelt plea he was beginning a supernatural healing that would reach far deeper than any physical healing ever could. He was slowly uprooting resentment and bitterness by revealing himself through his word and drawing my heart closer to his. And it was happening in ways that never would have been possible before my accident. I am convinced when we join Johnny Erickson Todd in heaven and we retell the story that God's glory was put on display in Johnny Erickson Todd's illness. And God let his glory be put on display by allowing her to be a paraplegic and then to get cancer and then for it to come back 
because she doesn't have less faith. She has more faith and became an advocate for so many who are not healed in the way that we imagined. She was once asked, if you could go back, would you change it? Would you not dive into that pool? She said, I wouldn't change a thing. God's glory put on display in our lives. It's hard for me to imagine why God would use people to display his glory, to bring healing, to bring convincing and conviction. I can't believe he uses me. If I had God's ear, I would say, don't you have a better vessel? But I believe that God, having called us to himself to be saved, is calling us to bring healing to this world. Both local and eternal. Let's pray to that end. Heavenly Father, you are our healer. You are the one who sent your son so that we could be healed. You are working miracles in and around us all the time that are not dependent on our piety or our power. But you sit enthroned and your son is enthroned next to you and he sympathizes with us in our weakness. I confess, Father, I hate disease. I hate cancer. I hate the illness that is thrust upon us in this life. But I can't believe that your son entered into our broken world into our sinful world to tell us that you loved us and to heal us. I am so thankful for Jesus. And I'm so thankful for healing that is sure and eternal. In Jesus' name, amen.